If you would, before we dive into Leviticus 25, let's turn to the Gospel of Mark. And uh, I think this is a great diving board before uh, the Bible study tonight. In Mark chapter 8, it was the Bible reading today. If you're reading through the Bible with us, if you lost track or if you didn't know, hey, just grab one of those cards. Just start off tomorrow where we're at. Uh, But this was the daily reading. And in Mark chapter 8, in verse 33, through the end of the chapter, it says, But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And again, what is the theme of Leviticus? Holiness. And God calls his people to be holy because he is holy. And the thing is that each and every one of us are slave to someone or something. Every single human being is a slave to someone or something. And it all of life is just about finding the right master. And there's only one right master, right? Jesus tells the rich young ruler, why do you call me good? There's only one good, right? There's only one good master, and that's God the Father, That's Jesus Christ. And Jesus, he tells us right there in Mark 8, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow me. But that leads to life and life abundantly. And what we're going to see here is that if we are really slaves to Jesus Christ, then we will be holy as he is holy. Because then what we realize is if we really belong to God, then everything we have in this life belongs to him. And that's why in verse 2 we read, whose land is it? It's the land which I give you. It's God's land. God is the owner and the possessor of this promised land. And now he's going to, in a sense, lease it to each tribe. Hey, each tribe is going to have their little section. We read that through numbers. If you've been, again, reading with us, it's cool how all these things line up. And then they were allowed to sublease that land later on. But what we're going to read about tonight is all that land would go through a great reset, if you would, right? Every 50 years, it was supposed to go through this big reset. And now all the land would go back to the owners. Now don't think of communism or changing wealth out. The wealth wouldn't move. The money wouldn't move. Just the property deed and the land would go back to its original owner, which God instructed through that book of Numbers that we read through. So the land is God's. And then in verse 55, we read the nation of Israel, they belong to God. They are servants of the Lord as well. They are his servants. And who's the one that brought them out of Egypt? It's God. So we belong to God. The land belongs to God. 
And God is the one that freed us. And at the end of verse 55, what does he say? I am the Lord your God. So maybe tonight you came here and you're exhausted and you're tired. Perhaps you're not plugged into Jesus as you should be. Or you're just serving one of the many cruel masters out there. Money, it's a great tool, but money is a cruel master. Whether it's pornography, cruel master. Whether it's drugs or alcohol, cruel master. Pride, getting people to like you, cruel masters. There's only one master that's good. There's only one master that's going to love you and care for you. And that's God the Father. That's Jesus Christ. That's the Holy Spirit. So verse 1 and 2, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Again, I love how God speaks to Moses. He doesn't say, If you come into the land, He doesn't say if things work out well, if everything's perfect and you guys luckily get into the land. He says, no, when you come into the land, this is exactly what you will do. And he says, you're going to keep a land Sabbath, right? The land itself is going to keep a Sabbath. I think most of us, we know what a Sabbath is, right? What day of the week is the Sabbath? It's Sunday or Saturday, right? For us as believers, Christians, we celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday because it's the day Jesus resurrected. It's also the day the church began. It's when the Holy Spirit was poured out on that day of Pentecost. So we celebrate that Sabbath day on Sunday. But how in the world does land and property celebrate a Sabbath? He's going to go into detail here now in verse 3 through 7. He tells them, Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. What grows of its own accord of your harvest you shall not reap, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is a year of rest for the land. And the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you, for your male and female servants, your hired man, and the stranger who dwells with you. For your livestock and the beasts that are in your land, all its produce shall be for food. Some of us, we may like this, right? Maybe after tonight, you're going to call your senator and say, hey, we need a new rule in the U.S. of A., right? Every seventh year, we should just go on vacation. We should just not work every seventh year. And that's exactly what God is instructing for the nation of Israel. You were to work six years harvesting, right? This is an agricultural society. This is all that the nation of Israel would do. But each seventh year, they were to stop. Stop sowing seed. Stop picking weeds. Some of us, we don't do that already, right? But stop picking weeds, stop reaping, stop all the work. And now you would be able to, right, blessing and a curse. You could go into your neighbor's backyard, right? And you could grab whatever fruit, whatever grain, whatever you wanted back there. But that neighbor you couldn't stand, now they can go into your backyard and they can gather anything they want and they could eat of it. That cat that's always wrecking your yard, the cat could go in your backyard, right? And eat whatever it's one. Stranger, neighbor, anyone was able to eat the land, of the land, whatever was provided. They were to rest for an entire year. Could you imagine that? A reset every seven years. Everyone stops working. 
and you just spend time with the family, you just eat. I love Joe Foge. He says that's probably when the honeydew list came out, right? <laughs> Honey, you got the whole year off. It's time to fix the kitchen, time to fix this, time to fix that, right? But this year of rest was to do the same thing for the whole land of Israel as the day of rest was supposed to do for the people of Israel, right? What's the point of the Sabbath? It's to rest, it's to be refreshed, it's to refocus on God and family, and it's to reset for the next cycle of work. It's resting, refreshing, refocusing on God and family, and resetting for the next cycle of work. And even today in agriculture, farmers and ranchers, they cycle the fields. And that's a way that you keep the land and the pasture to be reset and refreshed and be resupplied with nutrients. I'm not that smart. These R-letter words are just the R-letter words for this, right? They didn't do this on purpose. But even today, they... They swap out the land, different fields, different fences, so that the land can be given that same nutrient, all that density, the rain, the fertilizer, all of that stuff can grow once again. Today, some Jews, they find a loophole, and what they do is on the seventh year, they rent out their farm to a Gentile or to an Arab. So they make money on the land that seventh year, but then they tell God, hey, God, I'm keeping the sabbatical year, right? And they don't work the land themselves. The questions for us, the same questions for the nation of Israel is, can you trust in the Lord? Because I think a lot of us think of, man, a whole year vacation, a whole year of paid vacation, can you imagine, right? But when that sixth year comes around and the field don't look that great, right? When the bank account is kind of low, the silo, there's no food in there, are we truly able to trust in the Lord? The question is, can God create in six days or in six years what it takes us to create in seven days or seven years? There's many people today, because of the God they're serving, they think they can never take a day off. I just can't do it. And again, there needs to be that trust in the Lord. Taking that one day out of the week, doesn't have to be Sunday, doesn't have to be Saturday, but a day out of the week where you rest and Spend that time focusing on the Lord, focusing on family, refreshing and resetting for the days ahead. The great question for each of us is, is God more productive than you are? Is God more productive than you are? Some of us, we look at our business, we look at our schedule, we look at our budget, and we say, God, this is impossible for you. I've been on some missions trips. I hope to be able to go on some again soon with the family. But we work hard during those mission trips. We've been able to build whole churches in six days, right? We've been able to do great things in six days. What did God do in six days? Create the entire universe, right? So again, are we able to trust in the Lord? This was a real-life example every seven years on the incredible provision and miracles that God was capable of. And will always be capable of. You see, God didn't just want these miracles for the nation of Israel in the wilderness, but He wanted these miracles for them every seventh year. In uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, a verse I love, God tells the nation of Israel, Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. But how do we receive this great blessing from the Lord? God says, bring me all the tithes into the storehouses that there may be food in my house. 
There's a promise throughout scripture that we can never outgive God. You will never outgive God, whether it's Wednesday nights is too tough with my kids, or man, tithing that 10% or going on that men's retreat, the couples retreat, the price is going up, all the prices of everything is going up. There's no way I can do that for the Lord. You will never outgive God. There's another end to that spectrum, though, that's a little bit scarier, is that you can never outrun God. And these are the twofold promise here. God's going to warn them in chapter 26, verse 34. You could turn there, literally the chapter right next door. In Leviticus 26, 34, he warns them that if they do not rest the land every seventh year, that then the land will enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate and you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. You see, the problem is we really have no record of Israel keeping this law. They never allowed the Lord to do those miracles of the seventh year, of that sabbatical year, of that great year of provision for them. And because of this, and this went on for 490 years, perhaps they thought because God hadn't judged them, God was okay with it, right? God, these are different times. It's 2022, right? You're okay if I live this way. I don't see anything wrong in my life right now. Lord, it's been years. None of us are going to be 490 years, right? My, uh, Luke asked me, Dad, Dad, when will I turn up 100 million in 30 years? I go, never, Luke, right? Never, <laughs> never. Way, way, way afterwards in heaven, you'll one day turn 100 million in 30 years, right? But 490 years, they may have thought, man, God's okay with this. But what happens to them? They get taken out into Babylon. And God says, I'm going to take you out to Babylon because you did not obey my word. So God always collects his rent. So then he takes them to Babylon for 70 years. You could just write down 2 Chronicles 36, verse 20 and 21. It says, and those who escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him. And his sons into the rule of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Again, God always collects. You can never outgive God, but you can never outrun God. Your sin will find you out, and your sin always has consequences. Your faith in God has consequences, we're going to see at the end of the chapter, but our sin, our disobedience to God also has great consequences. In this seventh year, not only would it be a land for workers and the people to be given a whole year of rest, but during the Feast of Tabernacles, you can write down Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 9 through 13, During the sabbatical year, they would then go and everyone would meet together during the Feast of Tabernacles. And then God would have one of the Levites read the entire law in front of the men, in front of the women, and in front of the little ones. Even the stranger who is within your gates. That they may hear and that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. And that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. So again, a true Sabbath. 
It wasn't just to rest and relax and go fishing. No, it was to rest and relax, but also be reminded of how much God loves us. To be reminded of the word of God, right? Kind of convicting for us as parents. Have we gone through the whole word of God with our little ones? That they would know it? That they would hear it? Every seven years, the whole nation of Israel would gather together and the Levites would go through the entire law. What we're doing here tonight, right? The first five books of the Bible, they would read through all of it so everyone would know. Here in verse 8 now, we can go to back in Leviticus 25. And it says, And you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, and the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you 49 years. So if you're bad at math, he spells it out for you, right? Verse 9, Then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. And each of you shall return to his possession. And each of you shall return to his family. Jubilee literally means trumpet. It's a musical instrument, so they would sound these trumpets. They were supposed to sound these trumpets, right, that shofar, and they would sound it, and on that 50th year, I love how Robert Jameson puts it. He says, the sound of trumpets proclaimed the beginning of the universal redemption. All prisoners, all captives obtained their liberties. Slaves were declared free, and debtors were absolved. The land, as on the sabbatic year, was neither sowed nor reaped, but allowed to enjoy with its inhabitants a Sabbath of rest. You see, we as believers, we've tasted of a year of jubilee today, and one day we're going to taste of another greater year of jubilee. For each of us, Jesus has rung that trumpet in our lives, and he's freed us from our debts and he's brought us back to the rightful place where we belong at our father's side that's what jesus has done for each and every one of us he says hey your debt has been forgiven your debt the wages of sin is death that debt that debt of death for all of eternity jesus has paid it and now he says hey you come and you be with me you spend time with me. You abide with me and my Father and the Holy Spirit. But one day, there will be another trumpet. And at that trumpet, only those who are in Christ will be brought to the land where we have always been destined to be. At that trumpet, at that sound of that trumpet, each and every one of us, we will have no more debt in this life, right? We will no longer be slaves to our flesh. We will no longer be debtors to this land. But in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be transported to the place where we belong. Again, the joys of this year of Jubilee. This 50th year, so the 49th year, they were to have a year of Sabbath. And then the year right afterwards, the 50th year, they were supposed to have another year of Sabbath. And now everything would be reset. Every debt would be forgiven. 
Every person would go back to the land that they owned that was signed off to their family, to their tribe, and things would grow and begin once again. In verse 10, uh, there how it says, Proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. This our founding fathers put on the side of the liberty bell. So not only were the founding fathers, many of them, not all of them, many of them Christians, but they were the type of Christians that would read the book of Leviticus, right? And would want to put that on the side of things. Verse 11, that 50th year shall be a jubilee to you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine. For it is the jubilee. It shall be holy to you, and you shall eat its produce from the field. So you'd have two years in a row, 49th year and 50th year, where you have no sowing, no reaping, no pulling weeds, but everyone would just eat the produce from the field. In verse 13, it says, In the year of Jubilee, each of you shall return to his possession. Again, who did this land belong to? All of this land belonged to God. So God then, in a sense, right, if we read through Numbers this week, God loaned specific pieces of land to each tribe. And as each tribe was given, right, and leased out a piece of land for 50 years from God, then they were allowed to sublease that land to other people except for a few exceptions. Every 50th year, there'd be a great reset and the land would go back to original families, The wealth wouldn't change. Money wouldn't be taken away. It's just property deeds that would go back to their original families. This would provide lots of pluses, right? Some people, they think capitalism is evil. Evil people and capitalism makes it evil, right? But you couldn't just ride on the hard work of your father or grandfather. And you also wouldn't be just totally derailed by the waste of a bad father or bad grandfather. At 50 years, you'd be able to go back and say, hey, this land... This is yours. This is where your fathers, this is what God gave to them. So now in this 50th year, you can go back there. But this would also allow people who were wise and worked hard and gained wealth to continue to grow wealth but not hoard all the land. In some countries, there's a big problem where no one really has any hopes of ever being able to buy a house. No young adult in Miami would know anything like that, right? But no hope of being able to buy a house because all the land had slowly but surely been owned by a handful of families, right? Within the last three years, how much wealth has gone directly to just a handful of people on this planet? It's one of the big problems today. So this would keep people from being able to hoard all the wealth, but also kept people from just being lazy and riding the system. This also encouraged the nation of Israel to keep strict records of the family trees and of the lineages of each tribe so that this would also leave no room for anyone to doubt the lineage of Jesus Christ. It's cool how God does all of that. In verse 14, because some of you are thinking the first thing I thought, right? Year of Jubilee, all my debt is paid, right? What am I doing that 49th year? Racking up that credit card, right? Buying the Lambo, I'm buying this, I'm buying that. God speaks to me, speaks to each of us, right? Verse 14, And if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. 
according to the number of years after the jubilee you shall buy from your neighbor and according to the number of years of the crops he shall sell to you according to the multitude of years you shall increase its price and according to the fewer number of years you shall diminish its price for he sells to you according to the number of years of the crops Therefore, you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. You see, the value of land and physical possessions would be tied to this year of Jubilee. It was all dependent on how many years am I going to have this land. I'm not going to pay for 50 years of it when the year of Jubilee is in 10 years. So you'd pay what that land would be worth for 10 years. And for us, our value of land and physical possessions should be tied to the, that trumpet, right? To the coming of Jesus Christ. What is it worth? There's no U-Hauls behind the hearse, right? There's not just a huge coffin that you can put your house in there and all your stuff in there. So each of us, yes, we should be providing and saving for our children and our grandchildren. But as Jesus' return draws closer and closer... We should be more and more sold out to him because it's his land. It's his possession. I'm just working the land for him. I'm just working the talents and the gifts that he's given me. And I love verse 17. What a great verse for every Christian businessman, right? You shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God. For I am the Lord your God. For other believers, it's a good verse for us to remember when we play board games, right? Because just looking to put in the kill, right? Just finish off the game, finish off the sport, right? Don't oppress one another. Fear the Lord, for I am the Lord your God. The, the sad thing is we have no fact of Israel observing this year of Jubilee. Just like we have no record of them observing that sabbatical year, we have no record of them being obedient to God in this either. I don't know if any of you have that person that tells you, hey, we should be following all the law of God in the Old Testament. Jesus didn't come to erase the law, but for us to do it, ask them. Ask them if they follow the year of Jubilee, right? Ask them if they follow that sabbatical year. Verse 18 through 22, it says, So you shall observe my statutes and keep my judgments and perform them, and you will dwell in the land in safety. Then the land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell there in safety and if you say what shall we eat in the seventh year since we shall not sow nor gather in our produce then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year and it will bring forth produce enough for three years and you shall sow in the eighth year and eat old produce until the ninth year until its produce comes in and you shall eat of the old harvest Again, God says, obey me and I will provide. Just be obedient to me and I will provide. Lord, how in the world am I going to survive? Two years where I'm not gaining any wealth, Lord. Two years where I'm not harvesting any crops. God says, hey, trust me and obey me and you're going to dwell in safety and I'm going to provide for you. You see, God would do a miracle leading into that year of Jubilee on that 49th year. He would have the land produce enough for three years to get them through the next year, get them through the year of the crops, and get them through that 49th year. 
And God would provide in these three years in one. And the same is true for us today. Obedience, faith, and trust in God lead us to dwelling in land in safety. When we're obedient to God, when we have faith and we're faithful to God, and we trust God, this leads to safety. God says, hey, I'll provide for you. I'll take care of you. It doesn't always have to make sense. And does this make any sense? Right? Does this make any sense to any of us? Any farmers here? Yeah, that's exactly what I do, right? No, it, it makes no sense. Did it make sense when the manna would rain from heaven that God would say, hey, the day before the Sabbath, it's going to rain twice as much manna. That's the only day you can save enough for the next day. Any other day, any saved manna is going to be turned into worms, right? Did that make any sense? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. Such an important verse for us today. Because there's many people today that read scripture and say, that doesn't make any sense. Right? There's some people, they read what marriage is, one man and one woman, and, and they say, that doesn't make any sense. They read about sex only being for marriage, and they say, that doesn't make any sense. They read the roles within a marriage, the role for a wife and the role for a husband, the role for children, and they say, that doesn't make any sense. But for each of us, whatever area in life that God is poking, to us it doesn't make any sense. Apply Matthew 6, 33 and 34 to it. It tells us, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Again, Israel, because they did not obey the Lord, because they did not have faith in God, because they did not trust God, they were expelled out of that land. They were literally, the word there is vomited out of the land. And what we need to do is trust in the Bible even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's against this world's wisdom, trust God, be on his side. The nations before Israel, they weren't obedient to God and his word, so they were vomited out of the land. Israel, they weren't obedient to God, so they were vomited out of the land. Saul, when he didn't obey God, he and his family, they were vomited out of God's royalty, out of the nation of Israel. And even as we read a couple Sundays ago, if the church of Laodicea didn't obey God, they were to be vomited out of the presence of Jesus Christ. Again, for each of us, there's that promise. We can never outgive God, but we can never outrun God. You're never going to run away from Him. He's always going to collect. Verse 23, The land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. All the land belongs to me, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the land of your possession, you shall grant redemption of the land. You see, we're going to see in a moment, the kinsman redeemer could always come back and buy that land. It belonged to God, and God is the one who makes the rules. And it's a great reminder for us today. We don't have kinsmen redeemers that can buy houses and give them back to us. It doesn't work that way for us today. But we should be reminded of the second half of verse 23. That we are strangers and sojourners with God. 
If you're quick in your Bibles, you could turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and then we'll look at Hebrews chapter 11. And we will see that those who are faithful to God, they live a lifestyle where they are strangers and sojourners in this land. Are you an alien when it comes to this world and the things of this world? Do you know every hot topic? Do you know every famous person? Do you know every music lyric? you know every movie? you know every pop culture, pop icon, all that stuff? Do you know all of it? Or are you a stranger? Or are you a sojourner? Whenever I think of this, I can't help but think of an old friend of mine that was Japanese. And he was serving at a Christian camp with us, and he was from Japan. He could barely speak English. He was five foot nothing. And you could tell he was an alien, right? He didn't belong here in the States. He talked differently. He ate differently. He sat differently. I'll never forget, he asked me about the Hispanic girls. He said, why do they have hair on their upper lip, right? <laughs> Kenta, you don't ask girls things like that, man. You don't ask things like that. Because he wasn't from around here, right? Does this world look at us and say, man, that guy is not from around here. That, that guy, the way he acts, the way he talks, the, the way he loves his family, the way he works, his work ethic, the way he forgives, the way he's faithful through difficulty, man, that, that person's not from around here. Is, is that what people say about you? Right? Do people laugh at you because you don't get the cultural references from today? That's a good thing. It's a biblical thing. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through 12, it says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation." Again, we are to abstain from fleshly lusts because they war against our soul. However, our conduct should be honorable amongst unbelievers. You see that balance there? We're not to joke like them. We're not to talk like them. We're not to watch the same things they're watching. But when they see our work ethic, when they see the type of fathers we are, the type of mothers you are, the type of sons we are, when they see the type of friends we are, we should be held in honor and high esteem. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 through 16, it tells us, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Again, family, what city are we looking for? What country are we running for? Are we trying to live in and stay in and abide in? Right, we, we prayed for those believers in other countries today. What makes those Christians stay in those countries? It's being reminded this world is not their home. 
And there's a ministry that needs to be had in Ukraine. There's a ministry that needs to be had in Afghanistan. There's ministry that needs to be had in Canada and had in Australia. And that's why there are some believers going through so much persecution, but they're not just running away because they are strangers. They are sojourners in this world. We jump back to Leviticus 25, verse 25. If one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possession, and if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. Or if the man has no one to redeem it, but he himself becomes able to redeem it, then let him count the years since its sale and restore the remainder to the man to whom he sold it, that he may return to his possession. Here we see the idea once again of this kinsman redeemer and Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. You see the kinsman redeemer had to be a relative of the person. Jesus was a man like us. He put on human flesh for us. However the kinsman redeemer he needed to have funds to buy this person out of their slavery. So Jesus he's like us. He was human like us but he wasn't poor like we are right. He wasn't a sinner like we are. He was perfect. He was blameless. And by his blood, he has bought us back and brought us back to our rightful master. In Romans chapter 3, verse 24 through 25, it tells us being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation Right? The payment in our stead by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. In 1 Corinthians 6.20 it tells us you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. I think there's more Christians that need to be reminded of this. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. When you're facing sin, when you're facing temptation, be reminded, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. When you're tempted to sort of stop attending church or stop reading your Bible, be reminded, you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Back to verse 28, it says, But if he is not able to have it restored to himself, then what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who bought it until the year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, it shall be released, and he shall return to his possession. So if he can have a kinsman redeemer redeem him, or he have enough wealth to redeem himself, then on that 50th year, he would go free. Verse 29, if a man sells a house in a walled city, then he may redeem it within a whole year after it is sold. Within a full year, he may redeem it. But if it is not redeemed within the space of a full year, then the house in the walled city shall belong permanently to him who bought it throughout his generations. It shall not be released in the year of Jubilee. If you're thinking the way I was thinking, you say, okay, the only houses I'm going to buy then, right? are houses in walled cities because then they stay with me through the years of Jubilee and to my children and children's children. Why is this? The Bible doesn't tell us, right? God just says so, so that's why we do it. 
but they didn't do any of it. But we keep going, right? Verse 31. However, the houses of villages which have no walls around them shall be counted as the fields of the country. They may be redeemed and they shall be released in the Jubilee. Nevertheless, the cities of the Levites and the houses in the cities of their possession, the Levites may redeem at any time. And if a man purchases a house from the Levites, then the house that was sold in the city of his possession shall be released in the Jubilee. For the houses in the cities of the Levites are their possession among the children of Israel. But the field of the common land of the cities may not be sold, for it is their perpetual possession. So the Levites, they have a special case. They can always buy back their house. The only reason a Levite would have to sell a house is because the tithe was sort of running low. So perhaps that's the reason God always gives them this buyback clause. Verse 35, if one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among you, then you shall help him like a stranger or a sojourner that he may live with you. Take no usury or interest from him, but fear your God that your brother may live with you. You shall not lend him your money for usury, nor lend him your food at a profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. Right? Such a reminder to us. Don't kick a man while he's down. Right? Someone's down. Someone's down on just the seasons of life. Don't be that loan shark. Right? Hey, I'll loan this to you, but you got you to gotta pay me interest. Right? That's not how we're supposed to work because that's not how God worked with us. He freed us. He delivered us. That's what he's telling them in verse 38. Remember where you've come from and remember how I freed you and treat your brothers the same way. Verse 39, and if one of your brethren who dwells by you becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve as a slave. As a hired servant and as a sojourner, he shall be with you and shall serve you until the year of Jubilee. And then he shall depart from you, he and his children with him, and he shall return to his own family. He shall return to the possession of his father's. Some people, they read this and they sort of freak out, right? Does God agree with slavery? Is God for slavery? And you got to sit back and also know slavery in the United States and what we witnessed, right, is much different than slavery in these ancient times. There were people that if they were poor, they were living in caves. They were living out in the wilderness. So many people, they desired, hey, I'd rather sell myself to this person make a living and have shelter and protection than trying to fend for myself out in the caves. But now what God says is, hey, if a brother, if another Israelite sells himself to you, don't treat him as a slave. Don't treat him as a slave. Hey, instead treat them as a hired servant. They're going to serve with you. And on that 50th year, they're going to be freed once again. And this all goes back to how we started the teaching each of us are slave to someone or something. And depending who we are slave to, depending who our master is, that's sort of the lifestyle you live in. And if you have a good master, man, you, you live an incredible life. I love my master. I love Exodus chapter 21. We could turn there quickly. Exodus chapter 21. This is probably my favorite portion of scripture or one of my favorite portions of scripture here in Exodus, probably this one in chapter 33, but Exodus 21, 
verse 2, it says, If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, then he goes out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons or daughters, then the wife and the children belong to the master, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to the judges, he shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear within all, and he shall serve him forever. This is where we get the word for servant, ebed, which is where we get the word in the Greek, doulos. And each of us as Christians, that's what we should see. I love my master. I love the family he's given me. I love the blessings he's given me. I don't want to go out free. I just... I want to serve him forever. I want to be with my Lord and my master forever. And this is the mindset we should have as believers. Daily picking up our cross and following him. Saying I'd rather be with my master than the idea of freedom out there in the world. I don't know if you're in that season yet as a husband or as a wife or you have your old friends, right, they're still in the world or maybe they're single, right, and they say, ah, oh, man, you're tied up, you're, you're stuck in marriage, you're stuck with kids, you're stuck with this, we're free, we get to party every Friday, every Saturday, right? And they sort of go off and do their own thing and you sort of sit back and say, man, Lord, thank you, I'm not free, right? Thank you. Thank you, I'm not stuck in that that dumb rat race, right, every Friday night, every Saturday night and up late, all this garbage, Lord, thank you. Thank you for putting me in the place that I'm in. Back to Leviticus 25. It says, For they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over him with rigor, but you shall fear your God. Again, we've seen that thing four times already. In our life, in your decisions, in your business practices, in the way you treat people, in your relationships, fear your God. Have that respect to God. It reminds us of Jesus, how he tells the disciples in Matthew 20, verse 25. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. Us as Christians, when we're given leadership, what we should do is whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And Jesus didn't just preach this, right? He lived it out. He washed the disciples' feet. In the moment when everything was given into his hand, right? That's what the Bible tells us. In that moment, that's when he says, you know what? Let me wash all of the disciples' feet. Even Judas, who would betray him later that night. Verse 44, And as for your male and female slaves whom you may have, 
from the nations that are around you, from them you may be able to buy male and female slaves. Moreover, you may buy the children of the strangers who dwell among you and their families who are with you, which they beget in your land, and they shall become your property. And you may take them as an inheritance for your children after you, to inherit them as a possession. They shall be your permanent slaves." But regarding your brethren, the children of Israel, you shall not rule over one another with rigor. Here we see the great difference. For fellow Israelites, you could buy them and you'd only own them for those seven years, for those 50 years. However, people from other countries you were able to buy and own forever. Is God a monster? Is God disgusting? No. You see, this would allow unbelievers and people from other countries to hear about the one true God. Now they would be brought into this home and through their lifestyle, through reading the Torah, through reading the Old Testament, you you would have slaves that would now come and convert into Judaism. And this is a, a difficult concept for some of us to think of, but speaking to some men in prison ministry, right, talking to them, hey, how's prison ministry? A lot of them say similar things. That there's some men in prison that are living freer than some men in churches today. There's some men in prison, hey, they're bound, they're in jail, they can't go where they want to go. But they're living a life free from sin. And there's some people in trying to hold to their freedoms, they're living in more and more slavery. It all goes back to, again, what we read in Mark. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? The freedom for your smartphone? Is it worth that addiction to pornography and what it's going to do to you? That freedom to alcohol, is it worth it? What it's going to do to you if you succumb to it and you become an alcoholic? Are those freedoms worth it to you? So again, a slave who's a Christian or a believer of the one true God is better off than any free man. Now, if a sojourner or stranger close to you becomes rich and one of your brethren who dwells by him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner close to you or to a member of the stranger's family, after he is sold, he may be redeemed again. One of his brothers may redeem him or his uncle, his uncle's son may redeem him or anyone who is near of kin to him and his family may redeem him. Or if he's able, he may redeem himself. Thus he shall reckon with him who bought him. The price of his release shall be according to the number of years. From the year that he was sold to him until the year of Jubilee, it shall be according to the time of a hired servant for him. If there are still many years remaining, according to them, he shall repay the price of his redemption from the money with which he was bought. And if there remain but a few years until the year of Jubilee, then he shall reckon with him. And according to his years, he shall repay him the price of his redemption. He shall be with him as a yearly hired servant, and he shall not rule with rigor over him in your sight. And if he is not redeemed in these years, then he shall be released in the year of Jubilee, he and his children with him. For the children of Israel are servants to me. They are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So again, it all goes back to that. Who is your master? Who are you servant to? Who are you slave to? Has Jesus really purchased your life? 
Have you really given your life over to Jesus? The blood that was shed, the price that he paid, the torture he went through for us. Have you given your whole life over to him? Are you holding back certain things? Perhaps the Holy Spirit is speaking to you tonight that you think you're saved, but you're not really saved. You raised your hand once, you threw up a prayer once, but you really are not saved. Pray that prayer. Jesus, come into my life. I devote my whole life to you. I believe you died on the cross, taking my place, paying for my sins. And from here on out, I want to live for you. From here on out, I want to be obedient to your word.